It's Friday, April 1st. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Positive drug tests have hit a two-decade high, mostly driven by an increase in positive marijuana tests. A couple of things are at play here. First, attitudes about marijuana are changing as more states move to legalize recreational use. Secondly, due to labor shortages, many businesses loosen drug screening policies to open themselves up to a wider pool of applicants. Will Fewer, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Next, President Biden has unveiled his plan to try and help ease gas prices across the country. We will be releasing 1 million additional barrels of oil per day from the National Strategic Petroleum Reserve for the next six months. The plan also includes putting pressure on energy companies to ramp up domestic production of oil. Jeff Stein, White House economics reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for the plan to lower gas prices. Finally, over 5,000 sellers on the Etsy platform are planning a strike starting on April 11th to protest an increase in transaction fees that will also be implemented on the same day. Sellers say that the company is making record sales and revenue, but continues to saddle them with more fees and an influx of resellers and dropshippers on the site. Mia Sato, reporter at The Verge, joins us for why you might not be able to buy from your favorite sellers very soon. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. What we saw many companies do is effectively look at what was happening and they made a risk-based assessment where they said, you know what, we are going to eliminate a requirement that, you know, we're going to test everybody for marijuana so that we can broaden our labor pool a little bit and try to get some more workers to fill these slots. Joining us now is Will Fewer, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Will. Happy to be here. Well, let's talk about an interesting thing uh, that's going on in the workforce right now. We're seeing positive drug tests among U.S. workers hit a two-decade high. Now, a lot of this has to do with marijuana, but we've seen a bunch of stuff going on throughout the pandemic. A lot of people relaxing some of the requirements, testing for certain drugs, mostly marijuana, when it came to uh, the labor crunch that we had. We needed more people to fill jobs, so a lot of companies started kind of uh, relaxing some of those rules. So, Will, tell us a little bit more about what we're seeing with this right now. Yeah, so you're exactly right. Uh, We we see the rate of people who are testing positive for general various drugs last year had a two-decade high. And for marijuana, that was actually an all-time high. So more people are testing positive for marijuana than ever before. More workers, I should say, really. And what we're seeing at the same time is that fewer companies are actually testing their employees for marijuana, uh, which isn't exactly surprising considering that more states are legalizing it. Uh, Maybe even culturally in many states it's becoming kind of less of a taboo drug. Maybe they're okay with employees using marijuana as long as they're not, you know, showing up to work inhibited. And also, of course, we had this labor shortage last year, which was really severe in various industries. And what we saw many companies do is effectively look at what was happening and they made a risk-based assessment where they said, you know what, we are going to eliminate a requirement that, you know, we're going to test everybody for marijuana so that we can broaden our labor pool a little bit and try to get some more workers to fill these slots. And uh, some of the people you spoke to said a lot of companies probably won't go back. Let's say the labor market kind of evens itself out. People are getting jobs and and whatnot, and and you can kind of go back to those restrictions that they had. A lot of companies probably won't be doing that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'll speak uh, specifically to Michigan. I, I spoke with one really interesting staffing agency there in the Detroit area. They work mostly with manufacturers that supply the big three car makers glass suppliers and and other companies of the sort. 
And yeah, they said that even though Michigan legalized recreational use of marijuana back in 2018, until the pandemic, many of the companies they worked with were really resistant towards the idea of eliminating the marijuana uh, screen. But then, you know, just in the last 12 months or so, the staffing agency went to those companies and said, look, we cannot find workers unless you eliminate the drug test. And that's what they did. They didn't really have a choice in the matter. And and that staffing agency, they told me they don't see at all any chance of companies now going back. And they see even other opportunities for for those companies to loosen the restrictions, so to speak. They spoke about, for example, uh, you know, potentially companies hiring formerly incarcerated citizens who companies that wouldn't have done that before the pandemic. Marijuana use has become so casual that I guess some of these recruiters and, and whatnot saying people are showing up, potential workers are showing up and they already smell like it beforehand. Uh, you know, maybe, yeah. probably, you know, maybe smoking vapes on the site as well. Think different things like that. So, I mean, that could be a problem. I mean, you, I don't think you should be right. showing up like that. You want to put your uh, best foot forward, but that's how commonplace it's been in a lot of areas. Yeah. So, you know, the staffing agency, they did acknowledge that maybe it's almost gotten too casual in recent months where, especially among young people in their early 20s or so, they don't necessarily understand that, okay, companies are loosening up and they're now okay with having people who maybe use recreational marijuana in their free time. But that doesn't mean that you can show up to a job interview smelling like weed (laughs) or, or smoking it on your lunch break. Now, a lot of this is specifically focused on marijuana. Other illicit drugs, really, those things mm-hmm. haven't been relaxed. So I don't want people to get the wrong idea. This is right. marijuana. Uh, you know, we're talking about the changing landscape that's been happening, right? A lot of states are uh, legalizing recreational marijuana. So it's kind of in this whole thing that we're talking about it. But still, right, there are a lot of companies that might not go back to some of those old policies, but there's still a lot that don't agree. And, and you know, it depends on... Yeah what the job is, right? If you're handling uh, heavy machinery, obviously that's going to be a concern. Or uh, you mentioned a lot of financial services or federally regulated businesses aren't going back that way. Yeah. So just to be clear, right, there are certain positions that regardless of who your employer is, even if it's a private company, are regulated by the federal government at that level. And so that's positions like forklift operator, for example, or interstate truck drivers, they are regulated by the federal government. And for those positions, you would have to pass a drug test that includes a THC screening. Yeah. And, and, but in the meantime, right, we are kind of seeing a change in this. I think Amazon was a big company that was pushing for yeah. uh, some relaxation of that, at least for, you know, some maybe some of their warehouse people, uh, maybe not drivers. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it would be, yeah. but, but Amazon no, was, sure, was pushing sure Amazon. for that. Yeah, I'm sure Amazon was, you know, if I'm a small business in, you know, Michigan, for example, or another state where, especially where recreational marijuana has already been legalized, and Amazon makes that announcement, you know, that probably made uh, business owners feel a lot more comfortable saying, well, okay, maybe I can follow suit now. Will, fewer reporter at the Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm issuing a directive to strengthen our clean energy economy. I'm going to use the Defense Production Act to secure American supply chains for the critical materials that go into batteries for electric vehicles and the storage of renewable energy, lithium, graphite, nickel, and so much more. Joining us now is Jeff Stein, White House economics reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. Well, President Biden and the White House have unveiled their plan to 
do what they can to reduce gas prices right now. Obviously, across the country, prices are up. We're also dealing with record high inflation, uh, just a lot of uh, high prices all around, really. But the latest plan is to release one million barrels of oil per day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. This is going to be for the next six months. So this is kind of a prolonged bit of action that we're going to be going through. So, Jeff, what are we seeing with this? So, uh, as you said, you know, the administration is facing significant political pressure and Americans are really being hurt by extremely high gas prices as a sort of backstop for emergencies. A huge pool right now, around 570 million um, barrels of oil um, in reserve, and it is now going to commit to releasing a million a day, which um, is basically more than we imported per Russia per day before the invasion to try to offset some of that impact. Now, what are the effects going to be of this? Because what we're hearing is that this is, you know, when all said and done, it's going to bring us down to the lowest level that we've had in strategic reserve there. And, um, you know, how much of an impact is it going to make? Uh, some people are saying it's going to really work in the short term, maybe bring things down five to 10 cents a gallon, possibly. But long term, you know, as we have to start ramping up production and things like that, it can make things expensive again later down the road. What are we looking at with that part of it? It's a really good question, and part of the challenge here is that nobody knows exactly, and, and I've talked to many experts on different sides of this, nobody knows exactly what is happening with Russian export production. This is really the key question in a lot of ways, because Europe has, has announced its intention to wean itself off of Russian oil and gas, but the reality is that because Europe is so dependent on Russian energy that they really haven't done so. The U.S. announced, as I mentioned, that it's cutting off Russian, Russian uh, oil and energy, but it's a small fraction of, of their exports. And so if we see Russia continue to be cut off in a major way, from the global energy sector, this is going to do nothing. This is going to be a drop in the bucket. But if we get something closer to where we are right now, I think, you know, five to 10 cents sounds maybe a little conservative from my perspective, from some of the people I've, I've talked about, talked to. You know, this is uh, a million barrels a day is not nothing. We already saw yeah. crude oil prices fall in response to this announcement. So really, it's going to be hard to know how much of this is the impact versus what's happening in Russia. And that's so hard to determine, but this could help for sure. The other action that the administration wants to take is to hopefully pressure some companies to increase domestic energy production and, and start pumping more oil on, uh, on federal lands. I guess there's a, a number of leases that are already approved, but some of these companies are just sitting on them for the meantime right now. So the pressure would be to, you know, start using these leases that you've been granted and, and let's uh, ramp up the production. The administration um, basically reiterated what it already put in the Build Back Better plan. And it's been interesting because the White House response has been simultaneously to say that they need the help of the energy companies, right, in producing more, more to alleviate the shortfall. But at the same time that they're trying to work with them and encourage them uh, and support them, they're also trying to hit them with the, with the stick in addition to the care. And the stick here is this proposed fee on unused um, wells. And, and the, the key here is that for a lot of the um, companies, there's actually a really interesting survey by the Dallas Fed that found that for the majority of oil executives, the main reason that they are not expanding production is what they call capital discipline. And capital discipline essentially means that they don't want to expand to the point at which prices fall, right? If you, if you increase supply by enough, if these energy companies expand production, they are going to see 
eventually their profits get cut into by lower prices. And so the Biden administration, Biden said that this is a moment, uh, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but that this is a moment for the oil companies to be patriotic, to do what their country needs for them and to step up and produce more. And that that goes against some of their profit incentives for sure. Uh, The other thing that uh, the Biden administration is doing is using the Defense Production Act to author of uh, minerals and uh, things needed for electric uh, car batteries, electric vehicles. So we're looking at lithium, nickel, cobalt, graphite. Uh, So uh, how long would that take to ramp up to? Because a lot of these things, they just take so much time before they'll start making an impact. That's a really good question. And I think from everything I've heard from energy experts, that's going to take some time to ramp up, as you were alluding to. But the price of electric vehicles has come down considerably. Ford's new electric main offering is about the same price as their main um, you know, traditional engine. And so the administration is going to do everything it can to incentivize because that reduces consumption of gas that therefore, you know, alleviates the pressure for the other people who are still in, in that market, um, myself included, unfortunately. (laughs) And so that, that's a big, um, focus as well. You know, what can they do to increase clean energy? We're, we're hearing that, you know, the Biden administration in its announcement today is the uses of the Defense Production Act to have the government step in and basically require the increase of, of goods and in promoting savings as well in, in the coming weeks. All right. Well, we'll see if this uh, does make a dent in, in those gas prices and uh, hopefully so. Jeff Stein, White House economics reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Thousands of shops are planning to go on vacation mode, as you said, and close their shops for a little over a week and, you know, basically use that as a way to protest um, the most recent fee increases, but also changes that we've seen on the platform. Joining us now is Mia Sato, reporter at The Verge. Thanks for joining us, Mia. Hi, happy to be here. Well, there's some interesting things going on with Etsy. So in February, the CEO of Etsy, Josh Silverman, announced to their investors that sales and revenue were at an all-time high. Stocks went up for Etsy. Everything was going really well. But he also had a message for sellers that their transaction fees were going to be going up from 5% uh, up to 6.5%. That was going to be starting on April 11th. That didn't sit well with a lot of sellers, and now they're trying to organize to kind of go on strike, basically put their shops on vacation mode uh, so that no sales are being done, hopefully to put some pressure on Etsy to make some changes. So Mia, help us walk through this. What are we seeing with, uh, with all these changes here? So the most recent announcement of the fee increase is sort of um, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Um, Etsy sellers have been talking a lot in recent years about changes on the platform that they've been unhappy with. And, you know, the fee increase might sound like not that much to someone who doesn't sell on Etsy, but for a lot of sellers, this was um, very bad news for them. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the the fee increase was announced at the same time that Etsy was reporting quarterly earnings to shareholders. So, of course, the, the seller's read on that was, well, Etsy, the platform is making all this money. They're announcing all this good news to investors, and then they're passing on the expenses you know, to us, and we are having to flip the bill. So, beginning on April 11th, which is the day that the fee increase is scheduled to take place, 
thousands of shops are planning to go on vacation mode, as you said, and close their shops for a little over a week and, you know, basically use that as a way to protest um, the most recent fee increases, but also changes that we've seen on the platform since around like 2017 or so. Yeah. And they're also asking people that buy on Etsy to also try and boycott at least uh, for some time. So uh, just to put the pressure on, uh, you know, executives up there. And, you know, it's just for a lot of those that might not be familiar, right? Etsy, a lot of the sellers do custom made pieces, different things like that. And they have there's a ton of great stuff on there, but it's very much uh, for the sellers. At least they they seem to have lost a little bit what Etsy was beforehand. There's a bunch of drop shippers now that use the platform, a bunch of resellers that use the platform. And for those that are making bespoke items and whatnot, they've, they're feeling squeezed out and, and these increases on these transaction fees are hurting them, they say. People think I think of Etsy as a company where you get sort of handmade artisanal products, things made by people in their kitchens and in their workshops and in their garage. And people flock to Etsy as buyers because you can get things that are custom made the way you like it and you know that you're supporting a small business. And for a really long time, Etsy was that place. It was a place where you had to be making things by hand in order to sell on the platform. Etsy changed those rules, I think, around in 2013 when they said that you could actually outsource some of the labor going into making your products. And the limits are kind of vague. So, you know, now what you're seeing is you have print-on-demand products, drop-shipped things that are, like, clearly mass-produced but maybe has some sort of, like, illustration or graphic on the mug. But, you know, sellers are obviously frustrated with that. They're having to compete now with these bigger storefronts that are able to outsource a lot of their work that aren't going through, you know, the process of making something in their wood, you know, their woodworking shop or in their kitchen and, you know, having to compete with those prices, having to compete with those operations where there there are maybe, you know, 10 or more people working on it. So it's, it's a long-standing complaint. And that is actually one of the demands of the petition that is circulating. They want Etsy to crack down on these resellers and to sort of weed out this dropship industry that has, that has really cropped up on the platform. What has been the response from Etsy themselves? I mean, they say that these increase in fees are beneficial to the sellers because it allows them to, you know, expand the business and and grow their businesses as well. So, I mean, what's the reaction to this, you know, strike if if it goes through and all? Their line is, and this is, has been echoed by the CEO, Josh Silverman, um, in the earnings call But when he announced the initial increase. But the line is that the fee increase is a good thing for sellers. The idea being sellers sold a lot of things on the platform in the last couple of years, um, especially with this like pandemic boost. And so all of this money that we're going to raise through the fee increase will be put back into services for the sellers like marketing programs or, um, you know, helplines or whatever it may be. But ironically, you know, like things like marketing, different marketing programs that Etsy already has for sellers have also been the sort of a punching bag for, for retailers and merchants on the platform. They don't necessarily like those things that are introduced. So, you know, I think um, sellers are quite unhappy with that line um, and don't really buy it that the fee increase will be good for them. Mia Sato, reporter at The Verge. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.